0: It's 10 o'clock my time, so we'll go ahead and get start started. Good Sabbath, wherever and in whatever time zone you're joining us from. Uh, and Welcome to our fifth installment of Dialogue Sunday School. I'm Rebecca Deschweinitz, a member of the Dialogue Foundation Board, and I'll be conducting today um, from Provo. These sessions have really become a highlight of my week. However, How else would I know what day of the week it is? <laughs> helps me keep track, a little bit of track. Um, And I imagine that the same is true for many of you. Uh, If this is your first time tuning in, a special welcome, and we invite you to check out previous lessons at dialoguejournal.com, along with the entire 50 plus years of the journal, uh, including uh, our latest amazing spring 2020 issue on women claiming power, which is just out and was guest edited by our friends at Exponent Two. We have a diverse group of women claiming a little bit of power and authority today, as you'll see. Uh, But first, a few announcements. Uh, So, so you may have noticed that this format is a little bit different. Uh, We're trying out uh, what is called a webinar, if you're not familiar with these. I'm not. Um, So, so we're kind of gotten rid of our, our meeting format and hope that this will eliminate some of the extraneous noise and distractions that we've experienced over the last few weeks. Um, One kind of downside of this is that designated presenters uh, can see a list of the attendees, but I don't think that you can scroll through and see who else is on, which I know I like to do and some other people like to do. Um, But you can still use the chat function to make comments and ask questions and and see who else is here that way. Um, You'll have the choice on chat to address just presenters or presenters and other attendees. So pay attention to that whichever way you want to participate. Uh, as before, I'll be doing my best to listen to Ronnie Joe, our teacher today, and to pay attention to what you're saying and trying to pull some of those comments and questions um, together in hopes of facilitating some sort of, um, or at least some semblance of discussion as much as we can do in this kind of format. As always, we ask that you respectfully share thoughts and ask questions that are directly related to our teacher's message. Uh, With the format we're using, I'm able to temporarily unmute participants, um, I am told, so all power and authority, right? (laughs) Uh, And may end up using that to have some of you pose um, your question or make a comment um, personally. Uh, One of the definite downsides of this format is that during the lesson you'll also, I think, see several um, other people other than our teacher um, at the top of your screen today, including myself. um, Michael Austin, Dialogue Board Chair, and Chris Campbell, another board member, will be among the folks that you'll probably have to look at at some point or another. Um, They're all helping with some technical um, and other issues today. So thanks, Michael and Chris, and sorry to the rest of you to have to see us. (laughs) Um, We we are also streaming live on Facebook, uh, so we're excited about that. And if you're watching there, um, welcome as well. Our guest teacher today is Ronnie Jo Draper. Her pronouns are she, her, hers. Ronnie Jo is an enrolled member of the Yurok tribe who joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when she was 19. She's a professor at Brigham Young University where she teaches teachers how to create classrooms in which all children, regardless of race, ethnicity, language, social class, gender, gender identity, gender expression, sexuality, religion, and ability can grow and thrive. She serves on the executive board of the Global Women's Studies Program at BYU and often teaches the introductory course. Her academic work has focused on literacy education, queer pedagogy, and decolonizing educational spaces. Ronnie Jo is the president of the board of the ACLU of Utah and gives much of her time to advocate for oppressed people in her community, including LGBTQIA individuals and families. We at Dialogue feel deeply the importance of providing a space for the expression of diverse experiences and perspectives and for the faith's most vibrant thinking and are thrilled that Ronnie Jo accepted our invitation to teach today. Uh, We are grateful for her inspired preparation and willingness to go into this less than ideal virtual Sunday School world with us. Uh, As in any Latter-day Saint Sunday School class across the globe, the views expressed today are those of the individual teacher and do not necessarily reflect those of Dialogue, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or of any other uh, organization. Our opening prayer this uh, today uh, will be offered by Dialogue Foundation board member uh, and author. If you haven't read her fall 2019 Essay Imagery and Identity, please do so later today. Um, she's also the Executive Vice President of the BYU Black Alumni Society, Daylin Amasimaku, um, who joins us today from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, we'll then have an opening song, uh, which will be a video featuring Amy Cordalis, who is general counsel for and member of the Yurok tribe. And then we'll turn the time over to Ronnie Joe.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. Our dear Holy Father, we are so grateful this day that we have to gather together to, um, to learn from each other, to learn from, from Ronnie, We are grateful for um, that constant comfort and spirit and pray for that. For all those facing challenges today um, amidst this COVID pandemic, we pray Thy spirit will be with them to comfort and to bless. We pray that we may also be um, hands in thy work to to help those around us. Um, we pray especially this time for an open heart and mind to everything that will be taught, that we, we may be able to know how to best um, reach those around us and also improve ourselves. And this we pray in our grateful name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
2: I think that's my um,
3: cue to begin. And I want to um, also say, Waklao, thank you for having me. I'm so touched right now. I think that for me, that is um, the ideal way for um, me to begin to begin today and um, puts me in the right frame of mind. <clears throat> I do want to spend <clears throat> a little bit of time introducing myself um, and my positionality to the Book of Mormon and to this land. I think um teaching is relational. I don't think that I know that um and ideally, we would be um together in the same space, and we would feel each other, and we would um we would know of each other relationally and so this um this technology presents an opportunity for sure. But it also presents some limitations, and one of those limitations is that you um, that you can't know me, and and many of you don't know me, and and I think it's difficult to to learn with someone you don't know. I think those relationships are extremely important, and so I'm
2: imagine gonna that the same you, is true for many of you.
3: Um, so, I'm going to go ahead and uh, explain who I am um, with, the, um, with the hopes that that will help you know me. And unfortunately, we don't have the space for me to know you in the same kind of way. Um, I am a bicultural, a biracial person. I use both of those terms. Uh, My father is Yurok American Indian. My mother was white, um, primarily of Norwegian descent, and I'm an enrolled member of the Yurok tribe. I grew up um, always identifying as a Yurok person and, and very close to my people and my land. I identify as an indigenous woman. And... This brings many assumptions with it um, when I interact in LDS spaces, um, and sometimes LDS people will say to me, "Oh, you're a Lamanite," and I, um, I get some of that reaction maybe because. They maybe see me as a white person. Uh, Maybe when people first meet me, they don't um, they don't sort of register um, me as a um, indigenous person. Um, But that's a conversation for another day. Um, You know, what does it mean to to look Indian? Um, But when when eldest people say, Oh, you're a Lamanite. I'm, I I honestly don't know how I'm supposed to react to that exclamation. Um, I don't know, um, if I'm supposed to, um, like do they consider like the Lamanites, the antagonists or the enemies or the, um, bad guys like i don't and and it could be because i wasn't raised in the church and i don't have sort of um maybe enough history in the church to understand that and i also didn't grow up with my parents telling me about the church and about um the book of mormon i so i don't i don't have that sort of orientation to it uh so it sort of catches me off, and I don't, and I don't know sort of how other LDS people um, maybe position themselves as not a Lamanite. You know, when they're positioning me as a Lamanite, how are they positioning? I like want to, I want to hear how they explain themselves, how they position themselves, how they would describe themselves as not a Lamanite. Made my assumption is that they don't identify as a Lamanite, um, and so I find that um, I find myself in that moment often confused and um, and rushed with a lot of um, information. At any rate, um, I don't consider myself. A Lamanite. And I uh, nor do I consider myself as one having descended um, from the Lamanites. And in 1984, when I was uh, investigating the church, this was. you know, I was 19, the missionaries who were teaching me were 19 and this was, as you can imagine, um, a pretty fun conversation because the white boys from Idaho were trying to convince me that I was the direct descendants of the, of the people who were storied in the Book of Mormon and I would read those stories and I would say, yeah, um, I'm not boys. And, um, I'm not really different now than I am, than I was then. And, um, and I'm like, and I thought, you know, I'm really in digging the Book of Mormon. I'm, I'm finding a lot to appreciate here. And it's speaking to me in ways that are really beautiful. Um, and these aren't my stories. So, um, and, and. I will say that I know a lot of indigenous Mormon people who do consider themselves direct descendants of the Lamanites who are described in the Book of Mormon, and I don't take that away from them. And we've had beautiful conversations, and there is um, a, a place for multiple perspectives and so i want to um open that up and um and and, and provide that possibility anyway so that I, I just want you to understand i want you to understand that, that that's where i'm coming from i am a euroc person notwithstanding my um euro immigrant heritage. Um, the origin of my people is on the Klamath River in what is now called California. Uh, the ancient village of Witspas um, or Witchpec is located at the fork of the Klamath and Trinity Rivers. And that has been a home of my family for time immemorial. When I stand on the sands Of the old village I know that I am standing on the sands of family members who have come before me um, for thousands and thousands of years I am touching the same sand I am touching the same willow I am touching the same grapes the same berries Um, that is that is home um, the traditional Yurok land covers the region that surrounds the Klamath River, just up from Wichbeck um, and downriver for about 40 miles where the river meets the Pacific Ocean. Um, and if you've ever been to Yurok country where the tallest redwoods grow to the sky um, and where mighty salmon return each year from the ocean to spawn and where the forest gives freely berries and acorns and hazel um, in abundance. And everything simply flows up and down the river that anyone could ever need to live and thrive under the sun. You would have no problem understanding how that could be the location where the creator placed the first humans in the world. And so those are the stories and that I grew up with. And so you could understand how I can't completely identify with the people who have said to have come from another continent the middle east and whose traditions as recorded from outsiders and nephites um aren't really stories that are like my stories i can appreciate the stories i love a good story um they allow me to learn and grow Um, but They're not my stories, so. Uh, which I imagine, maybe is like how a lot of LDS people imagine the Book of Mormon. Like these are, these are stories of these other people who aren't us, but we are fascinated by their stories. And we, um, we find their stories important. Because they give us an example of how to contend with our lives in a way that holds possibility for us to draw near to God. So at any rate, I only offer this perspective as one among many. It is my perspective.
2: and. If
3: there is anything that, yeah, you know, there's plenty of things I love about being indigenous, but one of the things I love um, particularly is the acceptance of that subjectivity, that this is my story and, um, and you will meet another indigenous person who will have a totally different um, way of approaching this sort, same material. And um, we, will both, we will both be right and true and we can appreciate that. So um, I fear that a lot of LDS folks get pretty much all their ideas or at least their first ideas about indigenous people from their careful and faithful reading of the Book of Mormon. And that a little bit breaks my heart. Um, So if this has been your experience, I invite you to expand your reading and understanding and don't stop at one reading. Um, do many readings and readings about peoples from many nations Um, we are many and we are varied and um, and so here I am tasked with uh, these four chapters in Mosiah it was um, it was a little tough when Taylor asked me to teach I readily said oh sure and then I said what are what's the lesson and he told me the chapters and I was like "Mm, that does not sound like fun and he said you'll be perfect he doesn't know me so um so here we are and I've been fretting ever since uh I uh I read the the four chapters, and the first thing I did, maybe because uh, I'm a qualitative researcher and I um, care about words and whatever, I went through the chapters and I just wrote down all the ways in which um, the Lamanites were described. And so I'm going to talk about that for just a second, again, because... If this is your only introduction to Lamanites, this is how you believe this isn't the, uh, you know, your, your introduction to indigenous people, um, I, I just need you to understand sort of the, the word diet that you've been put on, and I want to, I want to trouble it a bit. In the four chapters of Mosiah this week, the Lamanites were described as cunning and full of craftiness, but not in a good way, Um, wicked, bloodthirsty, that was used twice, lazy, idolatrous, um, enemies, wild, ferocious, wroth with their brothers, hardened in their hearts, robbers, plunderers, full of eternal hatred, and people who knew nothing concerning the Lord. They were oppressors, uh, given to place others into bondage and grievous taxation and prone to glut themselves. Not a glowing um, or complimentary set of descriptors for um, the Lamanites. So I've prepared, I haven't even started talking about the lesson yet. So uh, buckle up. Um, and I see your hands up and I'm just sitting here ignoring it because that's what I do. So, um, so I'm going to teach a lesson about peacemaking. And I think that the four chapters that we've read this week provide a really good example of what not to do. And so that we can maybe untangle that, and say if this is not what we ought not to do, then maybe that gives us an idea of what to do. Um, and let me uh, let me tell you another thing about myself. I am prone, um, despite despite my smart mouth, and my my sarcasm. Um, I'm prone to nonviolence. I generally avoid reading the parts of the Book of Mormon that are the war parts. I'm just like, eh, not into it. Um, I have read them before. I know how to read them. Um, But when given a choice of what to read, I generally just like to read the words of Jesus. So I spend a lot of time in the Book of Mormon. And um, so, so that's good. Um, I generally avoid. Um, I I think part of it has been I just don't like how the Lamanites are treated. It's just like um, I feel like it's so uncool to say you know say that in the most um, um, I don't know whatever the you know the the understated way Um, it just hurts my heart and i avoid watching violence on television and movies my you know my family jokes it's you know like they'll say you know whatever we want wants this movie oh would i like it that is not a mom movie you cannot watch that movie um and um and then my feelings around non-violence have only intensified after um my mother's violent murder so i come by i come by naturally and then um, a few years ago after she was murdered it, I just said nah I'm all done with violence I'm intensely opposed to it um, and so even you know even the violence in my sacred texts I just would rather not there, there are plenty of other things um, so my approach this week was um was difficult and 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 I have been tender a lot this week. Um, So I'm about making peace and about and not about making war. (sighs) So let me tell you a story about Ammon and Limhi and Zenith as I as I read it and I made sense out of it. Um. And you're on mute, and so if you have any consternation about this, whatever. Um, and I think I'm funny, and you can say that. If you want to, like, put that in the chat, like a little LOL or something, a ha-ha, like, you can go do that. Um, so King Mosiah had had peace for three years. And I'm not going to do all direct quotes from the scriptures, but that is a direct quote. Mosiah had had peace. It was as if peace had dropped down like a dew from the sky and just landed on him. He had had peace. I want us to just think about that because um, I'm not really sure that's how peace works. Um, I don't think you just get to just walk out and have it. So um, anyway, that's how it's described in the scripture. He had had peace. And so King Messiah sends Ammon and several other men out to find um, some Nephites who had been separated from them for a long time. And, And Ammon goes out and he wanders around for a long time in the forest, looking, looking, where are these people, until he gets captured. And he's brought bound up to this man who would come to know as Limhi. And you're gonna wanna keep track of all the sort of ironies and who are the heroes in the story? Who are the enemies? Um, And I also want you to remember at all times that God, the creator of all humankind, cares always for all of the children of the world. Okay, and let's just, we have to keep keep thinking about that. Sometimes we lose track of that as humans. Uh, so Ammon and his bunch are brought before Limhi, and Limhi is all, and this is a direct quote. Now, I desire to know the cause whereby ye were so bold as to come near the walls of the city when I myself was with my guards without the gate and now for this cause have I suffered that you should be preserved that I might inquire of you or else I should have caused that my guards should have put you to death ye are permitted to speak. I'm like whoa. I'm um, imagining that Limhi is a little bit high and mighty and maybe he's like a snotty teenager boy, like I've raised boys, I can, I, I hear that voice, I know that voice. Um, and so, so Ammon and the others are all bound up. They've just been brought up from a prison cell that um, they had been cast into and they answer Limhai's questions and Ammon begins by telling Limhai who he is, right? That makes sense. And um, of course, Ammon has to be very humble because he's, he remains bound up during this whole explanation of who he is. And he's just heard Limhi is like, or else I could kill you. Um, and so Ammon says, for I am Ammon, and I am a descendant of Zarahemla, and have come up out of the land of Zarahemla to inquire concerning our brethren, whom Zenith brought up out, out of that land. And note how Ammon identifies himself as Limhi's kin and out of his homeland, right? And Limhi recognizes then Ammon as his family and says, now I know for surety that my brethren who were in the land of Zarahemla are yet alive and now I will rejoice. And on the morrow, I will cause that my people shall rejoice also. So there is gladness This is like a family reunion, cousin, surely we all know this feeling of connection, right? Like Mormons love getting matching t-shirts for this kind of occasion, right? It's, this is a good day. And so Limhi is rejoicing and he's still in full rejoice. And he's glad to see Ammon and his crew And he says, behold, so he starts talking to Ammon. He's just so glad to see him. Behold, we are in bondage to the Lamanites and are taxed with a tax, which is grievous to be born. And he goes on to tell Ammon um, and and to tell everyone who's around, Ammon's here. He is going to free us from the cruel Lamanites. Um, and, And we are willing to be slaves to the Nephites. Everyone knows that the Nephites are way better than the Lamanites, and that the Nephites will treat us way better than how we've been treated by the Lamanites. This is where I'm putting some of my words in, but it's just that's the idea. Meanwhile, Ammon and his guys are still standing there, and they're completely still bound up. They and um, and then Limhi says to his guards, "Oh yeah, take those, um, take those." bonds off them, unbind them. So Limhai, this is what has just ha- gone down. Limhai is complaining about being in bondage to the guys he himself has put in bondage, thrown in prison and threatened to kill. I just, I need some acknowledgement that Limhi has maybe lost some perspective. That the oppressed has become the oppressor. Yes? And we see, of course, this happens all the time. And we um, fall into these patterns. But all through the story, right, it's Limhi and are so the bad guys. Limhi. He's cool. Anyway, um, Limhi frees Ammon, there's food, there's drink, there's a hill, there's a picnic. Um, it's all very beautiful. And then Limhi gathers his people around and they, and he offers this really great speech. And he gives this explanation of why they found themselves in bondage. And again, I think that Limhi is like really not dealing with like his own personal responsibility in what is going on. And um, he's sort of just saying, you know, it's like sometimes God gets mad at you and just gives you hard things. Um, you know, God will, God will send hard things to you and I don't know it sort of it, it sort of takes out some of the personal responsibility or even what your own your own father's what your own um, your own ancestral obligations or um, actions have been um, He tries to he puts it off as like well there's this, these other people they were they were not believing in the testimonies that were being provided about Christ. Like, so then God gave us these sore afflictions. Like, okay. Maybe, like, I, I get that. Um, so, um, but then he does, I think, as, as people do, like, they say words that, like, if they could follow their own words, right? You, you've all been there. If you've been like a parent or a friend, you've said words to somebody and you've thus thought, if you've been a little bit awake, you've thought, I probably could follow my own advice. These words might be for me. Um, and uh, I think um, when Limhi says, if you will turn to the Lord with a fullness of purpose of heart and put your trust in him. serve him with all diligence of mind if you do this he he will according to his own will and pleasure deliver you out of bondage and i and i think that we have like a, a kernel of something to really hold on there um and and what i love about this especially is this idea that the lord um has will but the lord has pleasure and that we can work from the pleasure of the Lord and that we can, um, that we can align ourselves there. Um, and that we will, we'll be delivered, um, and free. And I like that. Um, I think that's where we can kind of get this, this nugget of peacemaking for ourselves. And then Ammon says words, but then I'll write those words down. And, um, which is good, I suppose, that he says that he taught things that King Benjamin taught. And um, and I'm going to come back to that later. I like when it says, well, you know, I didn't write those words down, you know. And I just thought, well, that's excellent because now I get to imagine what those words are. And um, and I did. But, but then Ammon talks about, Ammon, they, they bring these plates, um, need to be translated and Ammon's like oh yeah I know a guy so then they have the plates translated and um they're the stories of Zenith who is an ancestor to Limhi and um and then we get again more like how not to go about creating peace and and in this story um Let's see. Where do I want to start? Um, so Limhi is telling or the is telling the story. And again, we're expecting him to be the hero because he's a narrator. But caution, caution. Um, I'm not sure he's the hero. And um, and Zenith goes out. He's with the Nephites, but he goes out. And he's been sent out to be like a spy against the Lamanites. Um, just as part of a strategy to determine when do we go to war with these people. Um, but Zenith comes back to the Nephites and says, I don't know, like I've been watching them. I don't think they're all bad. There might be, like, there might be some good things about them. And so, um, and so then he, but then he gets kind of in a tussle with the Nephites who are like, no, we don't think that's, you, you, that's how that goes down. And, um, and so Zenith and his people decide to be separated from the Nephites and create their own space and their own land. And they're, they've given, they're given their own land. And, but then Zenith decides we got to build up walls to protect ourselves for the Lamanites. It's like he didn't learn anything when he was being a spy about the goodness of the Lamanites. Um, and so he goes in with this sort of suspicion, and then he posits that, that King Laman um, wants to put the, the, the people of, um so people under bondage. Um, and he figures that they're just lazy and they want all their stuff um, and they want to reap the benefits of their labors and, and all those sorts of things. Um, and to hear Zenith tell the story, his people, are just out tilling the land, um, watering the animals, and then the Lamanites come up on them and make trouble and start things. So Zenith decides that he needs to arm his people um, with all the weapons that they can invent and make and manufacture. And eventually, Zenith and his people go to war with the Lamanites. But... In my mind, like, if you're going to make a mo- weapon of war, like, you're going to have to use that. Like, if you go to all the trouble of making
2: something, you got to use it. Um,
3: in Mosiah chapter 9, um, I just want you to hear, I'm going to he- read Zedek's explanation. I want you to hear how he describes his people, how he describes the Lamanites. He says, I and my people did cry mightily to the Lord that he would deliver us out of the hands of our enemies, for we were awakened to the remembrance of of the deliverance of our fathers. And God did hear our cries and did answer our prayers, and we did go forth in his might. Yea, we did go forth against the Lamanites. And in one day and a night, we did slay 3,043, and we did slay them even until we had driven them out of the land. Hmm. And I myself with my own hands had helped to bury their dead. And behold to our great sorrow and lamentation,
2: 279 of our brethren were slain. And in reading this recollection, of Zenith, I can't help but notice, oh,
3: sorry, I can't help but notice, um, how he marks his people as his brethren and has his family
2: and the Lamanites as his enemies. And I wonder about the feelings of the Creator
3: regarding the three thousand three hundred and
2: sixteen. Thanks,
3: Of God's children who are laying slain.
2: And what was sown? And what was reaped? And who were the victors? And who was on the Lord's side? And what was done for the pleasure of God? But Zenith goes
3: on undaunted and he continues to put his energy into the making of war. And it occurs to me that Zenef puts so much energy into planning and in the making of war. He sows war. He invents weapons. He manufactures weapons. He arms his citizens. He just imagines
2: war. I just, I just wonder What would happen
3: if um, that kind of energy
2: was put into peace and was put into making peace, to creating
3: peace, inventing tools of peace?
2: You know, if we invented tools of peace, then we would have to use them. Later,
3: Zenith goes to battle again and the numbers
2: are so large that he doesn't even bother counting.
3: Christ taught, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When we sow peace, we reap kinship with the children of
2: God. We are the children of God.
3: I don't always know how to sow peace. It's much easier, I suppose, to sow so war, and we have much more, um, it's easier even to find media, right, that, that shows us how to do that. We can, we can imagine it's easier, even as little children, to knock down the towers that we spend so much time building, our precarious things that are beautiful, it's much, so much easier to destroy them. Um,
2: but uh, but it takes time to imagine
3: to do well. Um, I imagine that Ammon in his speech and his words reminded the people of the words of King Benjamin that when you're in the service of your fellow beings, you're only in the service of your God. And so there's much that we can do to make peace. I know that if we um, if we see others as our kin, we're able to do that. But if we see other people as cunning and as full of craftiness and wicked and bloodthirsty and idolatrous, as lazy, as enemies, as ferocious, as wild, as hardened in their hearts, as robbers, as plunderers, as full of hatred, um, then we're not going to fill our hearts with the kind of charity and love toward them that would fill us with the desire and pleasure of God to make peace with them. But we see, if we, when we see the people around us as children of God, as we see ourselves as children of God, then we will see people as our kin, as our family, and we will work swiftly to break the bonds that they are in, likely the ones that we have placed them in, and we will free them. We will succor them. We will meet them as our brother, as our sister, as our sibling, as our kin, as our family in God. We'll throw them a picnic. Um, we will rejoice together we have much work to do. Um, Many of us are suffering, sometimes because of the direct actions of ourselves, and sometimes because of the actions of our ancestors. Either way, we are responsible to move swiftly, to make peace, And, um, this is my testimony. Um, Thank you. I um, have maybe not even a minute for comments because we're going to watch again, Amy Cardalis with her medicine song and, um,
2: And think about making peace. Rebecca?
0: Um, yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm just, I just saw a really great kind of question comment um, from Elena Massey, where she, I don't know if you saw this, um, where she asked, could the opposite of service be violence? Uh, and can we perhaps think of violence toward others as violence toward God?
3: I think so. And I think that sometimes we think of violence as only being a physical thing. But I think that we've all experienced violence that's happened in ways that have been verbal. And um, maybe even ways that have, that it's happened because of neglect. Um, you know, in terms of the absence of care. Um, Yeah, I think if we can, if we can show God our love by loving um, the fellow humans with whom we walk this earth, I I suppose, um, I suppose I would love to to, to ponder on that. I, I suppose that, that 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 violence and neglect and, and lack of care, lack of nurture toward others, would also be extended to God as well. I, I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate having that brought to my mind.
0: Um, I'll maybe also share, you might've seen a couple of comments from um, Jody England Hansen. Um, talking about, let's see, um, the Book of Mormon narratives, um, often just mirror the human, the larger human story. Right. And I think we see that here. Mm -hmm. Um, and the tendency often, and you've brought this out really beautifully, um, to other, those who are not us and to forget this, um, that we're all children of God and the creator loves, loves all of us. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how we can, can kind of overcome that human tendency. <laughs> yeah, I think that is really difficult. I think,
3: um, you know, my, my students at BYU are, um, you know, understand that they face this issue of being more sympathetic to people who are more like them. And and that they have said that maybe one of their challenges has just been not having an opportunity to um, associate with people who are not like them Um, by virtue, again, of birthplace, you know, um, geography, and, and who they've been able to associate with. One of the things that I've challenged them to do is, well, then mix up your media. You know, who are you following on Instagram and on Facebook? You know, who, you know, who, who are you reading? Who, who are the, who are the characters in the movies that you see? Um, and that if you can, if you can start, if you can expand the people around you, maybe not because you can move to another neighborhood or you can, you know, frequent a different, you know, space physically, but you know, because of our technology, we have um, the ability to frequent other spaces virtually. Um, I can read books by authors who are not like me, who have very different perspectives. I can see movies with characters who do not look like me and who have lives that are very different from mine. I can fill my social media with people who have very different perspectives than my own and who are experiencing the world in ways that I'm not experiencing it, so that I can gain those perspectives and then I I can expand my heart and I can become acquainted with who my my siblings are who what what are the experiences of my family on this earth and I think that helps and that's easy it's like follow a few different people on Instagram you're you're sitting there just strolling along anyway, just hit a few more follows.
0: (laughs) So um, I think as one of the attendees brought out that your lesson has really brought out um, the power and blindness that comes from personal worldviews. And I'm just struck by the power that can come um, in thinking through other perspectives um, and recognizing our own identifiers um, and trying to um, kind of incorporate that into um, kind of a larger worldview and allow these kind of different perspectives to come through. So thank you. One of the, one of the things I love most about your lesson. Could could I? Go ahead, Chris
2: for um, as, as things. I, I'd like to interject with the comments that I've seen um, because they are questions, and then other people putting in those voice what, what they think her answer is. So I'd like to I'd like to put that back um, so that you can speak to it. Uh, the the way the questions come up are when people talk about war, they're often. The narrative often has a they attacked us first we are just responding and the comments that are i think i think this lesson is saying you need to start early not wait until the attack but the work of peace comes much earlier in the in the in the time frame
3: yeah well even when you read the even when you read the lesson it's like Ammon is building up weapons and then the Lamanites are spying and they're like, oh, he's building up weapons. We better build up our weapons. And then it's like, no, there, there's, there's no, not, not Ammon, Zenith. There's no talk of what anybody did to make peace. I'm not buying it. Sell that, sell that to, sell that, sell that to somebody else. Maybe sell it to another indigenous person who um, whose family didn't get wiped down to 27% um, when the uh, white settlers came and unprovoked took their land and started shooting. And I mean, yeah, I, I, maybe I would have a different
2: perspective if I had a different history. I bet I would, I bet I would.
0: Yeah, and one of our um, other attendees notes here, um, you know, he really, they really appreciated the, where did I go now? Um, The idea that we, We always assume that the narrator is the one who's speaking for what's right but um god is the creator of all of us and he loves all of his children um and that uh that it's perhaps our job to question the narrator and to um and to take on these multiple perspectives um yeah Okay, so I know we're going to end again with Amy um, uh, Cordalis, Um, but before that, let me share a few other um, kind of follow-up announcements. Um, One is that Michael Austin is going to um, conduct a little Insta-Poll to see um, what the general response is on this format versus the other formats that that we've used. I also want to invite you to join us again next week for a lesson by Adam Miller um, covering Mosiah uh, 11 through 17 and we've got um, a list of other great Sunday schools lined up for the weeks that follow. Um, our closing prayer today will be offered by, uh, following the music, uh, will be offered by Farina King. Farina is Balagana, Euro-American, born for Kenya Ani, the towering house clan of the Diné. She's an assistant professor of history at Northeastern State University in Tulequa, Oklahoma, uh, where she's joining us today and where her teaching and research focus on the educational experiences of indigenous peoples in the United States and understandings and is- epistemologies of indigenous communities and homelands.
4: Oh, Boholini Ne ena nanishle do Holago, ena nanishle do Jo Holago Sh so the zin Dizada do less Shay Azili Do Holago Shed the yin God Nithlini Dear Lord, we put our trust in thee. We are so grateful for our many blessings, for this uh, beautiful earth, for um, the scriptures, for the words of prophets, for um, knowledge bearers and knowledge carriers. And we are so grateful for this opportunity to come together, even virtually through these technologies today to share and learn um, of words from past, but that speak to us even today and to speak to each other that we may um, be touched by truth, that we can feel thy spirit confirm to us truth and, and be guided to do, to do good in the earth and follow Christ and his example of love, charity and, and kindness, that that can guide us in what we do. And we pray for those struggling, especially those feeling alone in their trials and in their challenges, that they may know that they are never alone and give strength to peoples and communities who are struggling right now. Help us to love one another, to support each other. these challenges challenging times especially of the pandemic that we may heal together and we are so grateful to know to come to know thee through opportunities like this grateful for sister ronnie joe draper's words and pray for peace and harmony and we say these things to our dear ever
2: our lasting lord through the name of Jesus Christ amen